Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. And I went in there the other day to buy some beer uh, and the bloody craft beer selection. It was just, oh, you know, I, I, I like a craft beer, but trying to pick out the right craft beer and everything else is, was just, I was in there for about four hours, it felt like. So you wanted to sit down in the evening to watch a show. You kind of had three or four options and that's what you did. So you picked the best one that, that was available there. And then along came basic cable. And now instead of three channels, you've got you know several dozen channels. And that actually made it harder. You spent a lot more time not watching TV, but instead flipping through the menu. When you're dating now, do you have one of those surprise me buttons? When, when I'm dating now, um, I am not dating now, and it would surprise everyone if I was. <laughs> Ryan, Black Friday, I decided that I was going to buy a heater, believe it or not, for my home in Florida, which sounds a bit strange. Wait, you were going to buy a heater for your home in Florida? Uh, yeah, I was. It's, it, now, it does now sound strange, me saying that. Did you also decide to buy a fog machine for your home in England? <laughs> what are you doing, Colin? I, well, you know, I've lost all this weight. Ever since I've lost all this weight, I've got right. bloody freezing. <laughs> and we were, we're, we're, we're there in January, and I knew that I would need a heater, and the heater on the air conditioning broke. So this story was not about me buying a heater. I think I will be able to make use of this for our next <laughs> So thank you for that. We decided that I was going to buy, uh, we were going to buy this heater. And I went on Amazon, as I always do, and I started looking at heaters. There's like 50 million of the bloody things. Yeah. And and as I started to look down all these different heaters, A, I was, I was actually thinking of you because I was thinking about the evaluability heuristic and I was thinking about all those other wonderful things. But one of the things I was thinking of was there's just so much choice. One of the problems that a lot of organizations face today, I mean, it's like going into a restaurant and you're just faced with so much choice, yeah? I like to think I'm a quite a decisive person, but it really annoys me when there's just too much choice. And yeah, no, the danger is, is that you feel that, you feel that you're going to make the wrong choice, don't you? And even saying the wrong choice implies things like well well what is the right choice because so you know so is the right choice the, the heater that has got the the most reviews is that the right choice is the right choice the the best heater i don't know per kilowatt or whatever else it is that you know so anyway today we're gonna talk about choice and why why choice can be a blessing and why choice can be a curse. Yeah, so this is a, a, a whole field of research in academic marketing and a few other academic disciplines. My thesis advisor, the, the guy that I worked under to get my PhD, um, he published a lot of research in this area. Uh, he and I have one paper together on it. All right. But yeah, so it's a, it is a, an active 
area. And it, it comes down to this phenomenon that you noticed, which is that sometimes if you ask anybody, do you want more options or fewer options? We're almost always going to say we want more options. Um, and yet your experience of actually getting what you want in terms of more options to choose from, it's surprising how easily overwhelmed we are. I'm going to talk you through two of the major theories that have been explored to, to understand this. And then uh, we're going to wrap up towards the end with some discussion about what you can do about it. Because this is kind of a basic human phenomenon. And it's it's been called the paradox of choice before Barry Schwartz has a, a book with that uh, title. Because it does describe this conflict. Like people say they want more choice, but if you give them more choice, sometimes that results in some negative outcomes, including people feeling less satisfied with the choices that they make, people deciding not to choose at all, kind of foregoing that choice. So let's talk about why that happens. Sounds good. Good. Sorry, I don't know if this is picking this up. My, my office at Emory is close to the Emory Hospital. And so you get to hear sirens going by occasionally uh, from my I, office. I thought that this was your prison cell. And, and uh, or uh, it's the police <laughs> finally coming to get me. <laughs> no, somebody's life was being saved. But thanks for making a joke out of that, Colin. <laughs> 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 No, we have a fantastic hospital here, and I'm very proud of the work that they do. Not that I do anything to support it directly. But yeah, that is one of the side effects. Let me tell you about the most famous experiment that documented this choice overload phenomenon. So um, it's very clever. It was run in a grocery store in California, and it was a grocery store that was famous for having large assortments. So... You know, it wouldn't, you go to buy mustard and it wouldn't be just a few mustards. It would be just like a, a wall of mustards, just all these different. So they set up a sampling table with uh, jams. So this is this brand of jams that carried a lot of different flavors. And every hour they would rotate it. So uh, for one hour, there'd be six jams on the table and you could stop and they'd give you some crackers and a knife and you could like taste test anything you wanted to. And then the, uh, every hour they would switch out and it would go from six to 24 different flavors of jam. Right. And everybody who stopped got a coupon so they could then track whether you actually bought the jam later or not. So there were two key variables that they looked at. One was how likely were people to stop? So they, they had somebody standing on the, on the edge there with a clipboard and everybody that would enter the aisle, they would get a tick mark. And then everybody who would stop, they would get a separate typical mark. So they were able to see of the percentage of people who walked by, how many actually stopped. And when it was 24 jams, way more people stopped. It was like 60% of the people stopped relative to like 40% or something like that. But it was, it was more attractive. People were drawn to it more. When they tracked the coupons, though, I apologize. I might be getting some of these numbers uh, a little off, but that they're in the right general direction. Are you giving us a choice of numbers now? Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm giving you the choice to believe my faulty memory or not. Um, I, sh- I should have pulled up this study before I started getting this deep in the weeds. Something like a third of the people who got the coupon when it was six jams on the table um, yeah. actually ended up buying the jams. But it was only like 3% who bought when there were 24 jams on the table. Right. So okay. it was this stark difference where people were much more attracted to it when there was lots of choice. But once when they, they got into it and they actually actually had to decide amongst them it all. It was too many. Uh, it was too many and they, they didn't. So that study, the authors claimed and provided some additional evidence that the driver of that was primarily 
demotivation. Right. So you get into this, you see that there's 24 of these different jams. Like, how do you even start? Like, how do you yeah. choose between 24 different flavors of jam? Yeah. Like, even totally. reading through that list, I would find exhausting. Sure. And so people just say, ah, oh, forget it. Like, I, I don't care about jam that much. And so it, it reduces their motivation. Uh, and it's like that in general, isn't it? I mean, the trouble is you go into a, a supermarket. I was, I was thinking about there's a, a wine store or a alcohol store called Top Wine total wine where we are in florida and i was went in there the other day to buy some beer uh, and the bloody craft beer selection it was just yeah, oh, you know I, I i like a craft beer but trying to pick out the right craft beer and everything else is, was just i was in there for about four hours it felt like yeah you need to have had several beers before you can handle choosing yes beers yes um, it's just yeah no there's lots of stuff like this where once it was explained to people or once people read that paper, they were like, yeah, no, yeah, like I I can see that. I've been in those situations. So the question I was going to ask you, so in that c- case of the jam, is there an optimal number? Good. It's a good question. The short answer is no, only because it depends on too many things, right? So is there an optimal number for jams when displayed on a table probably but it, it sort of context specific if we could figure out what that optimal number was for the jams in that setting it might be different if we're looking at jams then on display on the store shelf relative to being on the display table and then if you want to apply that number to your business selling you know telephone systems to businesses that's completely so it depends on i mean in general we can talk about it, it depends on the complexity of the information so if it's more complex information that's going to be a, a smaller number before people get overwhelmed i remember hearing a radio report once talking about medical errors uh, sometimes doctors and hospital systems make mistakes and that this advocate was saying look it's it's your responsibility if you're going to get surgery or if you're you know a loved one is going to get surgery you need to go in and you need to like figure out which is the best hospital to to get that. And I remember thinking, there's no possible way. Like, I would be so overwhelmed by that choice. Like, it's such an emotionally fraught decision. It's so high pressure. The information, like, I would be overwhelmed and demotivated if I had three hospitals to choose from. Like, I just, sure. it would be too much for me personally. And so I think that there are settings like that. There are other things where if you're like a hobbyist and you're like, you know, if I had to choose between you know, different miter saws that I wanted to buy. Oh yeah, give me 20. Like I, oh, I could, I could look through that information all day long. As I was thinking about this prior to us jumping on the, uh, to record this, I mean, clearly the key thing you should do is just bloody test it and go back into our favorite subject of segmentation, because again, it would, you know, if you're doing it to somebody who's buying a saw that is a experienced person like your good self, a lot of variation may be, or, or I, would, I would imagine that the number is actually going to be increased, i.e. the choices that you gave them. If you gave it to somebody that's naive and only just getting into it, then, you know, more directional approach would probably be more beneficial. But the key issue is test that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Recognize that more choice can be bad, but that it'll differ in terms of how much is too much. It'll differ by segment, in part based on expertise, in part based on other things. Um, but yeah, if you want to apply these particular findings, or honestly any findings that we talk about, the best thing to do is to test it in your situation. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah, totally. totally. So that's one theory. One theory is that too many options demotivates us. It just stops us from sure. caring about this. We, we decide we want to do other things. It makes you get anxious that you're making the right choice. So I'm just about to buy a new television, okay? And I'm now looking into, as I normally do, doing my research and I'm, and I've even got down into going, well, what's the difference with the product numbers? The first three letters of this and the second two letters are for that. So you're so comparing I'm, the serial numbers? The, well, not the serial numbers, numbers, but the product, the product and model numbers, yeah? And, 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 and there are small differences between, you know, the different models. And, you know, they could vary in like a $100 difference. But you just then start going, for goodness sake, you're just now diving down into the weeds on this stuff. Just when I started to examine, well, why am I doing that? It's going because actually I don't want to make the wrong decision. So I'm starting to feel anxious and I and I, I don't want to be sitting there in six months time going, oh, bloody hell, I wish I'd spent an additional $100 and got the BQ edition. That is the second explanation. Um, you did it. You totally stole my thunder. So thanks. Thanks for that call. Sorry about that. That's a great example, right? So the first one is that it's demotivational or can be. Right? It's just we're overwhelmed and just ugh. The second one is that larger sets change our expectations and therefore kind of our our reference points for what would be acceptable. Right. So if I gave you two TVs to choose from. And that was the universe of your options. You would pick one of those TVs and you would probably be pretty satisfied with it. But that's not the way shopping works anymore, right? You don't go to a store for some stuff for big ticket items. You don't go to a store and say, well, what are the 20 TVs that they've got on, on display here? That one is the best one for me. Instead, your selection set for all the good that the internet does us, and it does us a lot of good, we now have essentially infinite or nearly infinite consideration sets for a lot of things and so it's not just what's on display in this store it's also at other stores and it's also at online stores and it may be from stores in in completely different countries for some of the stuff that we buy and now all that's available and what that does is it, it shifts what we find acceptable if it's just a set of three tvs in front of you your job is to pick the best of those three and then you're pretty satisfied with it but now if the set is very large, you're expecting that there might be a better TV out there if you just keep looking or you're nervous about, you know, exactly what you were saying, buying it and then finding out the next day that there was actually a better option out there. But it shifts. The other thing I think for me, mate, is it shifts responsibility. So if I'm offered two, yeah, it feels like that's not my decision. There are only two things that you could buy so it was a choice of this one or that one whereas if there are a hundred things that i can buy then actually that's my decision because i didn't understand or didn't go for that type of variable does that make sense i would say that it's still in both cases it's your decision but in the in the second one there's like an additional decision that needs to be made, which is the construction of the consideration set. So you're not just in the choosing part. You now also have responsibility for the research part and for the comparison part and for the figuring out what matters. There are a couple of examples that I use for this that tend to resonate with people. 
when I was growing up in the States, we had like three primary TV channels to choose from in, in most markets. So you wanted to sit down in the evening to watch a show, you kind of had three or four options and that's what you did. And so you picked the best one that, that was available there. And then along came basic cable. And now instead of three channels, you've got you know several dozen channels. And that actually made it harder. You spent a lot more time not watching TV, but instead flipping through the menu. Yeah. And now we've got, you know, Netflix and other streaming services where it is it has happened to me where I have sat down in front of Netflix and spent forty five minutes scrolling Show through the options, yeah, 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 only to turn off the TV and walk yeah. away without having watched anything. Yeah, and, and that's this phenomenon where I've seen all the options. Like if you gave me one screen of Netflix options, I would pick something and I would watch it. But now I know there might be something better on the next screen. I should check there, and there might be something better on the next screen. <laughs> Ryan, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? Uh, I saw an old Vincent Price movie called House of the Long Shadows when I was a kid, and it kept me awake for days. And if you want to be kept awake for days, the one that scared me the most was the Intuitive Customer podcast that's now available on YouTube. It's really oh, scary. I, I want to change my answer. That's actually the scariest thing I've seen, too. <laughs> Absolutely. So... If you are interested in getting scared and watching Ryan and I attempt to do a podcast on YouTube, then just search for the Intuitive Customer Podcast on YouTube and subscribe, won't you? We look forward to seeing you there. And the interesting bit for me with that is, because I've said this to Lorraine, my wife, if I'm starting to invest in watching a series and you know there are 10 one-hour episodes, that's suddenly 10 hours of my life. Uh, and, you know, you get to you get to episode three and you think, I'm not going to spend another seven hours of my life watching this. It's just not worth it. So I, I think it, it goes back to, I think to a certain extent, the choices, it, the, or the maybe it's not necessarily the responsibility, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say it's, it's also about, well, what are you valuing at that point? Yeah. Because I think the shows have increased the quality of the shows. It's what are you valuing? Are you valuing your time? So I could argue that me spending all the time investigating and doing the research on the TV is not worth it. In fact, I know friends who would walk into a store and just go, yeah, I'll, I'll have a five-minute chat with a salesperson and they'll go, I'll have that one. Is their choice any better than the choice I've made? Probably not, if I'm honest. This is part of that same phenomenon where when you have more choices, they tend to vary on more dimensions, right? So as you add more TVs, like if, if you added more TVs, but the only difference with the new TVs was that the screen size was just slightly bigger or smaller, that still wouldn't be an overwhelming choice, right? You'd realize at some point like, ah, oh, well, I, it's like, this is enough variation on the screen size, I'm good. But because as we add more options, it usually, well, like, oh, well, well, now this one has more HDMI ports. I didn't realize that that was something that varied. Maybe I should start yeah. talking about that. And then now here's this new resolution, like, scale that I wasn't aware of that, that's only on some of these. And that makes it more complex. Yeah. And the other one that I was just about to go into was brand. What does it say about you? I remember when we were talking about TVs, I remember buying a Samsung TV 
10 years ago, just when Samsung were getting into televisions. And I remember all my mates taking the mickey out of me, in other words, ribbing me about buying this Samsung, because at the time it wasn't seen as a good television. It actually was. But the point being, it's again, it's a brand thing. So part of that choice is, well, what are other people going to say about you if you're making this choice? Yeah. And again, I would, I would suggest that that concern is more of a concern when we have more options. You know, if there are three TVs on the market, there's going to be less social stigma associated with choosing one brand. Because that's the way thinking about it, and this is a blinding flash of the bloody obvious. When there is more choice, branding becomes more important. Yeah, it can. So when we talk about like what can be done around this, brand cuts both ways a little bit. But I agree with you. In general, brand is one way that people simplify the choice for themselves. Yeah, because if I've got a choice of two things, yeah, I won't say brand's unimportant. But if I've got the choice of two things, the chances of the brand being the most important is not not necessarily the key unless... Right, because there's it's going to be easier for you to reconcile all the non-brand information. You'll be able to handle that. But when it's when it's 100 choices, you have to simplify that in some way. And brand is a very easy way for people to do that. Yeah. Uh, the, the other example I like to use for this uh, reference point story, the fact that, that people tend to have higher expectations when they have larger, when that comes from larger choice sets. If you've ever met a couple who are both from the same small town, where they're convinced that they were soulmates for each other, right? Like if your dating pool is like three or four people who are kind of close to your own age, then there's a decent chance that you will settle on one of them. And and empirically, you may end up pretty happy in that. When people move to very large cities when they're single, it's very common for them to date endlessly and kind of never settle down. And part of that is you're kind of always looking over your date's shoulder at the bar to see all the other options that are out there. Like you have a higher set of expectations. Well, if I'm in, if I'm in this huge city with all these other single people, there's got to be my ideal match out there somewhere. And so people set different expectations around them. And it's, it's not always to their benefit, honestly. I get surprised sometimes as I, I've been married for nearly 40 years. I'm surprised at that because I've said to Lorraine, do you think that you would be the only person that I would ever love? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you just yeah, took I'm the surprised your marriage has lasted past that <laughs> question too. And do you want to try rephrasing that? But, well, if you just think about it from, from a numbers perspective. So I love Lorraine intensely, okay? But is she the only woman that I would have ever married in the whole of the world? Okay. Now, I don't have a romantic bone in my body, so I won't even say the romance in me because I haven't got one. But the romance in Lorraine would say, no, we were meant for each other and everything else. And I'm going, well, no, we're not actually. If you look statistically, that can't be the case, can it? You're killing the idea of so much <laughs> with cold, hard statistics, Colin. This is, this is brutal. But I, I mean, I would bet that statistically you are more likely to find your soulmates uh, out of a small dating pool than out of a large dating pool. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, and it's the same Netflix phenomenon. Like they're just, they're, you know, it's harder to commit if you feel like, oh, there might be something. So when you have this, when you're dating now, do you have one of those surprise me buttons? 
when when I'm dating now, um, I am not dating now, and it would surprise everyone if I was. Because you know, on Netflix, they you know, on Netflix to overcome this choice, and we we I think we have one of your your colleagues I mean, on the it, show, don't we? So I, I don't know that there are surprise me options, although that would be interesting. It would be, wouldn't it? There are services though that, and and we can start to transition now into what can you do about this um, sure. as a firm. I mean, I, as far as I know, I think there are dating apps where they do a lot of the screening for you. So the idea is we've got these tens of thousands of people out there, but based on whatever, our algorithm says these are the 10 that would be most interesting to you. Yes. And so that, yeah. By definition, they've got to be doing that. They've got to be filtering it down. It's not just going to be random. That's the way it? of saying we're going to take this large set and turn it into a small set. And so that's one piece of advice that you can give people. One of the ways to get the benefits of both uh, giving people lots of choice and then also managing that choice set for them is to curate it for them. So it's like, yeah, yeah, we got we got a million options, but let's start here. Like these are the ten that we think would be most interesting to you based off of it. And to the extent that people trust your judgment, trust your algorithm, they can you know act as if they're getting all the benefits of all the choice, but not having to suffer through the consequences of actually being overwhelmed by it yeah yeah and i I think a bit of advice i would give people in this area is one is resist the temptation to come up with more and more choices because the danger is is internally you look at your product or service and you think oh well maybe there's a segment of the market that would like it this way maybe there's a segment of the market like it that way and therefore before you know it you've got 27 different televisions you know based on a slight variation of of it the other part then for me is goes back to the testing of it which is i think that that's absolutely key making sure that you're testing what's with those different segments and looking at the numbers that are that are beyond that i was reminded of this the other night we were out for a meal and we went to a restaurant and we were at one of these restaurants that have got like seven pages of food that you can buy Gordon Ramsay, I don't know if you've ever listened to watch Gordon Ramsay. He rightly so says you should give people like five choices of a of a main course and that's it. Now, I'm not saying it's necessarily five, but for me, it's like that feels like a decent number. And sometimes you feel a little constrained with only five choices. But, but it does take the, there is a good thing about not having so much choice. And there's a good thing there about, the expert has narrowed it down to the five. And to a certain extent, thinking about it, I mean, that's got to be what stores do, isn't it? So again, I'm thinking of my television. They can't fit every single bloody product in the in the store, and they're going to want to choose some of the best TVs to have. And the other thing it made me think about... Well, best as defined by covering the the largest portions of the market usually the largest correct and therefore suiting the largest portions of the market the other thing that made me made me think though the other day was how many times when you go to search for a product on amazon how many times do you actually go to the second and third pages i never do i never ever go to the second and third pages yeah i always just pick out whatever it is on that first page so so that's an important lesson there, right? So a lot of people are attracted to Amazon because they know they'll have a huge selection. 
And yet most people don't take advantage of that huge selection because it's overwhelming. And so we're relying on Amazon to kind of bubble up the most, what they think will be the most attractive options to us or that we assume that, that, that they will. They break it off by pages so that, you know, you've got a kind of a discrete set and then you can choose to move on to the next one. So they do some things that, that help us mitigate it. One big thing that they do is they allow you to sort the set in a number of different ways that meet your needs or you can screen and filter. Those are all ways of, of making it easier on customers to evaluate option sets. Even knowing what dimensions there are or that matter, which is some of what this filtering options does like it's oh i've got different brands here that i can choose from oh i've got different sizes of the tv oh i've got different like numbers of hdmi ports that i can uh, sort by all of those kind of tell me as a naive consumer what might be important for me and help me kind of figure out what i want before i really dig into the weeds and start looking at all of those things make it easier for customers yeah no absolutely no good We hope that's been of use and we are very pleased that you've chosen uh, the intuitive customer. All of the podcasts out there. Do you you, you like the way that I I did that? Yeah, no, that was good. That was good. It was. We'll we'll encourage our customers to imagine we're the only podcast out there, (laughs) um, thereby not overwhelming you with choice. uh, Genuinely, thank you very much for listening this week. If you could do us one favor, that would be to do a review. That would really help us. And that helps us go up in the algorithms and, and hopefully we get on the front pages of um, uh, which podcasts uh, to choose. So thanks very much, everyone, for listening. And we look forward to talking to you next week on the show. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. <laughs>